0: This morning, as we're in 1 Corinthians 3, 3 and 4, we'll point out that what Paul is dealing with is status rivalry based on favorite preachers or judgments about things that won't be known until later when the Lord reveals the secrets and intents of the heart. So I'll read the text on the next slide here 1 Corinthians 3, 3 through 4, do an overview. We'll pray and then dig into the text. For you are still of the flesh, Paul said, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Let's pray and we'll dig into this. Thank you, dear Lord, for showing kindness to us, undeserving sinners, through sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for sins once for all. And as we have trusted in you and believe in you, may we uh, learn the lessons that are here in the Bible for us to learn, that we may may not repeat the same errors and problems that have already been corrected. Give us wisdom and understanding, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let me read the context that we covered last week, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready yet. So the claim that I made was that this is ironic, People of the flesh, according to what we know earlier in 1 Corinthians, are people that reject the gospel. They will not listen. They have not repented. But here, Paul is addressing brothers. Notice that in verse 1 last week? Brothers in the vocative is always an address to fellow Christians, brothers and sisters. So if we look at the context, in fact, I'm going to do a little review if you want to turn earlier, 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. Who did Paul address who are these brothers? 1 Corinthians 1, 2, and 3. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling with all who in every place call on the name of our lord jesus christ their lord and ours grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ in this section up to where we are right now paul is addressing brothers and sisters in christ and when he address them in the way that he does there's an irony to this and today i'm going to show from scripture that all people are either in adam and lost or in christ by grace through faith in adam all die in christ all are made alive those who are in christ so Let's continue to learn and get this in context. I'll again cite some scholars. Why? Because this section has been so often misused and misunderstood, I want to reinforce that this really is what was going on, and it's often used in a wrong way throughout church history. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, 3a. And I want to focus on two terms here. Jealousy and strife. Paul said, for you are still of the flesh. I'm saying this ironic. For while there is jealousy and strife among you. Who did he address? Brothers and sisters in Christ. How can you be brothers and sisters in Christ and still be of the flesh? I know they didn't go to the right deeper life seminar and learn the secret. The amount of literature that has been published throughout the history of the church, especially recently, to correct a problem that they don't even understand. Are your prayers not being answered? Well, you didn't do it right. You're still not growing the way you want. Well, you need uh, to learn the secret that we learn through a psychological analysis of different people in the Bible, and so on. No, this is not what Paul is saying. The things that are showing up that he calls fleshly are implying that Paul or Apollos or Peter, whoever preached Christ, somehow had a different or better version of it, and they began to create schisms that are not biblical. Now we'll look at the word jealousy there, zelos. The little underscore I put to indicate the difference between uh, a, ada and epsilon, zelos and strife is eris. The term strife in particular is used nine times as a noun in the New Testament, and every one of those times it's used in a pejorative or negative or a sense that you don't want it. Strife is not a fruit of the Spirit. So let me give you just a few examples of where strife is used besides in this passage right here. Earlier, it was used in 1 Corinthians 1.11. Here is what caused Paul to write this letter. He said, 1 Corinthians 1.11, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, same people, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. That word there, heiress, strife. Now how do we know that this is a bad thing? look at where Paul used it elsewhere. In Romans one twenty nine, jot these down. There's too many to I can't expound all of them, but Romans one twenty nine, it talks about what unrighteousness looks like, the unrighteous. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit. Maliciousness, gossips. So it's not good to be full of murder. And so that should get the attention of any church addressed. Wow, is that, I hope we're not like the world. And um, in Romans thirteen thirteen, there's a, a an admonishment to the church: Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality. And sensuality, not in heiress, quarreling, and jealousy. So there again, you have similar issues going on that don't belong in the church. And so the address here is to tell us that this isn't how it should be. We need God to, to show that we really are in Christ and that fruits are developing. And furthermore, every time that's used, other than one in particular, where Paul is using it in a comparative sense, and that's Philippians 1.15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. But then he says, I rejoice Christ is preached. There may be a preacher who claims to be greater than all the other preachers and preaches Christ, And God uses that to save any of us that believed, if we heard it, despite the preacher. Paul is not endorsing strife. He's endorsing preaching Christ. And so we need to preach Christ, and there God will use that. Now, what's the point of this? They are acting as if they were no different than anyone else in Corinth. The pagans, the various temples, the various things that are going on, very, very prominent in that world. Chiampa and Rosner say, in other words, they live as if they were no different from anyone else in Corinth, or to borrow a phrase from 1 Corinthians 15:22, as if they were in Adam instead of Christ. Paul re- wrote a letter to remind them of their sanctified status before God. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Word of God reminds us that we're in Christ, if we are truly born of God, that will cause us concern, and it will cause us to respond and to change. God uses his means. So that's the issue, and we'll talk about another one of these in an application. Let's go to the next one. By the way, uh, jealousy can be used either in a good way or a bad way. You can be jealous for the church in the sense that you want Christians to live up to the calling, or you could want something that's not yours. That would be bad. So let's go to the next part of this verse. Are you not of the flesh and behaving in only a human way? Now, here's why I chose that translation. The word is kata anthropos, according to man. And are you not just living according to man? To be human, if you study anthropology, you should be studying what man is like, what humans are like if you are living according to fallen Adam, you're just being human. And so fallen humans start uh, being jealous, creating strife. I'm this, I'm that. I'm better than you. I'm better than that one. I'm the one who should be honored. I'm the one who's important. I'm the one that, in fact, I was um, doing some, research for a book a few actually over a decade ago and one of the preachers says we're the ones we've been waiting for that's probably not a good slogan <laughs> we are in Adam and we're proud of it we're waiting for us and the people that taught that believe that there's such a thing as inevitable progress and spiritual and moral evolution and so Get rid of the categories and you'll evolve. But that's not the point. And when Paul heard from Chloe's people that these sort of things were happening, status rivalry, he ironically said, Are you of the flesh? Do you really think that if you believe the gospel through Apollos' preaching or my preaching, it makes any difference? Are you in Christ or not? He even said earlier, is Christ divided? So you're behaving and thinking in a human way, according to man. Here is a newsflash. I have it up here. You, they didn't need the gospel to be like this, nor do you, nor do I. Christian faith does not depend on being honored by the fallen world around us. We don't need to be popular with the fallen world. In fact, that would be something that would be alarming. And in the church, if if we're part of the family of God and we're born of God, the greatest honor that anyone could have has already been bestowed upon us to be called brothers and sisters in Christ that is of eternal honor, and it cannot be taken away. It's given as a gift. Now, the word sarkikoi, uh, I have the singular here, of the flesh is ironic, and it says you're walking around. Interesting word in the Greek, peripateo means to walk around like this, or walk concerning this way. So when God delivered us, from death, he sent Christ to die for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. And he made us part of the family of God. Any role in the family of God is a fantastic honor we don't deserve. And we're not able to look around and decide who's more important. That gets determined later at the judgment seat of Christ. And there's rewards. We'll see that in a bit. Another scholar, I want to show you that when I first saw this in the commentary by Gordon Fee in 1987, it really answered a ton of questions. He didn't make it up. It was always there in the Greek. It's always there in the New Testament. Now, there are many that you can cite. This is Dr. Gardner from the Zondervan Exegetical Commentary. He said, at this point, Paul makes it clear, that the aspect of their fleshly behavior, says Gardner, that most concerns him, is the jealousy that has led to divisions. This is no better than would be expected of the unbelieving wor- world. The church isn't supposed to look like the world, and the particular issue here. There are other issues later where there are people that needed church discipline. But here the issue, schisms, divisions, jealousy, strife. I'm better than you because I follow this preacher rather than that preacher. That would be like the various pagans. Let's go to verse 4. Here it says explicitly what the issue is. Here's the evidence. For when one says, 1 Corinthians 3, 4, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He's not saying they're not human. When we're redeemed, we're saved by grace. We're still humans. But in this context, he's saying you're behaving like the people in Corinth did and like you did yourselves before you came to Christ. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to create divisions, but to show us as we're born of God that we all are part of the family of God and we're all used by God and how well that happens is known to God and will be rewarded. It's not for us to make uh, judgments before the time, which are inevitably false judgments. Yes, we can see fruit. Yes, we can judge doctrine based on Scripture. And the fruit of the Spirit is laid out, it's in Galatians. And love, joy, peace, there are many fruits of the Spirit that will definitely show a work of grace. But I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulus, I'm a Peter. Christ maybe be divided. I'm the real Christian because I know something you don't know. That is fleshly in a sense. Ironically, it shouldn't even be there. Another scholar, Dr. Garland. Paul and Apollos are not leaders of opposing groups, he says, as they might be in the world's value system. Paul pronounces that they are only servants of God who have no significance Independent of Christ. That's Dr. Garland. The reason, he continues, he does not mention the Cephas or Christ parties in the following example is not because the Corinthians of the Corinthians misplaced loyalty to himself or Apollos, maybe the excuse me, I got that wrong. In other words, Paul and Apollos, I'll just say it myself. Paul and Apollos are associated with Corinth. And you can read about that in Acts 18. And so Paul was there, Apollos was there. Apollos learned the way of the Lord more perfectly, and they were preaching. And so the report from Chloe's people is saying, this is, this is divisive. Some people think they have a better standing before God based on what meeting they went to when they came to Christ. This is something that has plagued church history from the time of the last apostle's death, likely John, to the very moment we live today. Church history, outside of the time of the apostles and the scripture itself, is plagued by people thinking that they have discovered the secret of being a really great Christian compared to everybody else who claims to be Christian. In many cases, there are people who build groups and organizations that don't even know Christ. But even amongst those who do, there's always got to be, it seems, some plan so that I'm not merely a Christian. How horrible it would be if all you were... Was born of God, filled with the Spirit, redeemed, sanctified, given promises, and participating in the resurrection. I say that ironically, like Paul does. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. Of anything. I know God is more pleased with people that live out in the desert. So he had the desert fathers. The cities are corrupt. We're going to go. In fact, if you really want to be pious, you go live in a cave. One guy lived up on a pole, Simon Stylites. Um, others would join this or do Somehow we've got to be better. What about this? Let's love one another, serve Christ, trust him, and realize that the least in the kingdom of God is greater than anything we could ever hope for in our sin. Does that make sense? That's the point. Later, the next time I preach, we'll cover this. Paul will go on and say, what's Apollos? What's Paul? Servants through whom you believed. Servants from whom you believed. What I want to do now is show that by looking back in Luke and elsewhere, we could really look through the whole Bible and see this continually comes up. You go all the way back to Cain and Abel, Saul and David, the, the strife, the issues. God determines the means by which we come to him. And people don't like how God does things. Why was he pleased with blood sacrifice, but not just the other version? Why Remember, they were saying, Saul slew his thousands, David his ten thousands. Saul decided that David needed to go. Now, in the case of Saul, very doubtful he even knew God. But the fact is, what people want to know throughout church history is what's not revealed who among those who do have faith in Christ alone is better, has the better gift, and some angle is more important than somebody else. I'll show that that always keeps showing up. Let's look at some possible applications. There are many others. It's throughout the Bible. Status rivalry causes strife and is based on false judgments. Number two, those who seek honor now, even in a Christian context, are misguided. Number three, if we are in Christ and serve him by his grace, there will be eternal honor. And those who believe that and know that are so privileged. Let's look at Luke now. There were so many applications I could have made, I decided to stay in Luke. Luke Acts is a two-volume work. Let's go back to some of the things that happened in Luke. Luke 9, 46, 47, and we'll also go to 48. I'll put this in context. In Luke, verses 51 all the way to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, which is a topic next week, that Eric will be talking about. We call it Palm Sunday. But there's an argument about who will be the greatest. Luke is laid out so that Luke 9.51 goes all the way up to the entry, and it's a journey. He set his face, using terminology from the prophets in the Old Testament, he set his face to go Jerusalem. But Jerusalem is the place that rejects those who are sent to her. And an amazing thing, and so he's talking about crucified, rejection, and so on. Just before the travel narrative starts in 951, they're arguing about who's the greatest. Let me read it, Luke 9, 46, 47. Then an argument started among them about who would be the greatest of them. But Jesus, knowing the thoughts of their hearts took a little child, and had him stand, stand next to him. As I said, the arguments are common in Luke about status. That's a theme. We must get something right. When we study the Bible, if there is an illustration, we need to understand what it meant in that context. Many times, we import our values back into the scripture and figure a meaning that really wasn't there. In their world, the child had no status in regard to who's the greatest. In fact, children loved to argue about who's the greatest. You well, I saw that my whole life on a school bus going into town. And um, there were fights in the schoolyard. And So it's not like children are that humble. My my mom would tell you, I definitely was not. But God knows how to humble those who walk in pride. But here, the issue is comparing one with another who has status. The child did not. That would not give them any place of honor to be such a child. Notice it says, knowing the thoughts of their hearts. Did you know? Here's another proof of the deity of Christ. God knows the heart. God is the heart-knower. Christ himself knows the thoughts of the heart. And so we don't know the heart, but God does. And his judgment takes that as part of a consideration is are we serving honorably by God's grace whether people think that our role is important or not? Let's go to verse 48. And I chose the Holman Christian Standard Bible because I liked how it translated which is used in each case which generally means to welcome in a sense that would be showing uh, honor to someone. He told them whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me and whoever welcomes me welcomes him who sent me for whoever is the least among you. This one is great. Now this doesn't mean that all you needed, uh, need to be great is just to be a child. If that's all it took, your greatness is fleeting. If you grow up, that's not the point right then in that dispute, here's the child. That child has no status. And if one welcomes a person with no status, no honor in their own self, in the name of Christ, meaning those who he brings to himself. Now, you read the rest of Luke, what happens? People that would be hated and rejected welcome Christ. Zacchaeus in others, tax gatherers. One woman was known as immoral, came and wept at his feet when there was an honorable banquet going on. And the thoughts of the ones putting on the banquet, well, this man's not from God, or he wouldn't allow this. That's the point of many of the parables. So to welcome is to... Uh, receive warmly. Later in 2 Thessalonians, it says that those who are deceived by Antichrist are the ones who did not welcome the love of the truth so as to be saved. We saw earlier in 1 Corinthians that the key thing we need to know is that a crucified Jewish Messiah offended the Jews and the Greeks meaning to Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't want a crucified Jewish Messiah. They mocked him. And the Jewish leadership didn't want a king who was rejected, mocked, and shamed, and killed by the Romans or anyone else. Everyone's indicted. No one was looking for crucified Jewish Messiah. So, seeking status now is found throughout Luke. I'll, as you turn to Luke 20, 46, and 47, I'll read a couple others just to show that this is thematic. By the way, Luke, Acts, two volume work, Acts 18, we have Paul and Apollos, and these are issues that arise. I'll read Luke fourteen seven while you're looking up twenty forty six forty seven. Luke fourteen seven. He began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. Why would you pick out the place of honor? This happens a lot of times in the Bible, including some of the feasts in the Old Testament. Haman, Mordecai, look at it, look at some of the things that happen. Oh, oh, there's a place of honor. It has to be me. So you go sit in the honor seat. Wait a second. you not, That's not for you. And then you're shamed on the way out. The point is, sit in the lowest spot, which you wouldn't do. And if you get a promotion, that's not so bad. So if you are looking for status and honor in the eyes of other people and you want it now, you're thinking like you're merely in Adam or of the flesh. If you realize that to be a servant of any sort as part of the redeemed people of God, that is the greatest honor greater than anything the world could offer. So that is one of the references. Let's look at Luke twenty forty six, forty seven. 47. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance's sake offer long prayers, these will receive greater condemnation. So the people in the world of the disciples on this journey to be rejected in Jerusalem were wanting honor, long robes, high status, respectful greeting. And Jesus said, beware. But it says beware, that's not good if you ignore it. And then look at 22, 24. I'll, I'll cite that to you. And there also arose a dispute among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Who's the greatest? Can't be the child with no status. It must be the people with the honor in this world. The same attitude when it comes into what we see as Christianity shows that we don't even understand the gospel itself. And when Paul saw that through the report he got, he's not telling them they're not Christian. He's not saying, well, really it should be me, not Apollos. I'm really he does defend his apostolic status, but what's at issue is, do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you redeemed? Are you part of the family of God? Have you been taken from the kingdom of the darkness, which is heading toward judgment, and placed upon the rock, built on the foundation, growing in Christ, and whatever part you are, as you serve, it'll be the greatest thing. We have to believe the promises of God. If the Bible is taught the way it is inspired by the Spirit, and what it means is powerful, why is it by faith? Because this world is telling us you're wasting your life. If you don't get it all now, they say you wasted your life. I say that Paul preaches that if you know Jesus Christ by his grace, and trust in him alone, you have already been given more honor than I deserve, you deserve, anyone. And we need to start with that and think that way. Now let's look at 2 Corinthians twelve nineteen. What is ironic here is that the reason... Paul wrote the two epistles that we have in the canon, there were other letters, was that they were dishonoring Paul. They decided he wasn't very good. What a crummy apostle we ended up with. Literally, that's what they thought. They said elsewhere, his his personal presence is unimpressive, his speech contemptible, yuck 2 corinthians 12 19 all this time you have been thinking that we're defending ourselves to you actually it is in the sight of god that we have been speaking in christ and all for your building up beloved so converted Saul of Tarsus called as an apostle sent preaching Corinth spent a year and a half there and then they start thinking not so great. I don't think you're really apostle. But the fact is God is the judge and the apostle had acted for their benefit. Notice at the last word in this sentence, Verse, beloved. Yes, I want to reiterate that Paul is not saying to them that they're lost and bound for hell because they had believed the gospel. They are we were new creatures in Christ. If any person is in Christ, it's a new creation. Two Corinthians five seventeen. Here, beloved, that's an address. It's a term of endearment. It's not like the woe. To the false prophets and the hypocrites woe to you hypocrites woe to you who have all of these accolades you've received your reward in full there won't be one later so the beloved are the people who know Christ and are part of the family and care and only God can tell who served well in whatever gift they've been given The apostle had acted for their benefit so here again we have the vocative the term brethren or or here loved vocative is a term of endearment in this context his brothers and sisters in Christ turn with me to Hebrews 6 and 9 a couple different people emailed me and asked about other passages and I hope we can talk more about that especially in Sunday school but When I spoke last week, the question came, does it it mean that we don't have growth? Yes, we do. But the analogy here isn't uh, that, well, now you have Christ crucified, so we go on to something else. The analogy is we do learn and grow. Some may reject that and run away and go somewhere else. But the admonition, the irony is to get us to think biblically and to grow. So here's Hebrews 6 and 9 in the context of warning against apostasy. But beloved, using the same word, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. This is the author of Hebrews. So these ironic rebukes do not imply that we're not Christian or that we can't grow, or there aren't gifts and fruits that we should be developing as we go forward by God's grace. There's another passage like that in Second Peter. But they are to shake us out of our doldrums and think, I don't know who's the best preacher, the best servant, the best teacher, the best anything. But I do know That it be part of the family of God is an honor that I will never deserve, never earned, and only can be done by God's grace. And the same is true for every single person. Christians fail, fall, get misguided, but they will respond to loving exhortations such as what Paul is providing here. So let's look at verse 20 here in the same context. 2 Corinthians twelve twenty. Paul said, for I'm afraid that perhaps when I may come, I may find you to be not what I wish and be found by you to be not what you wish. In other words, I'll get there. I don't like what I see. You don't like what you see. Now, why would that happen? They were making judgments. They were saying, Paul, you're unimpressive. You're not as eloquent as we'd like. You're not as good as our favorite teachers, some of which weren't even Christian. And so there are these judgments that were false that they were making. Then look at the last part of this I have highlighted with blue. That perhaps there will be, here's our words again, strife, jealousy, jealousy, and the other uh, traits that are not proper for Christians. Angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip, arrogance, disturbances. Doesn't sound like a very nice meeting to have. And this would certainly show what's happened throughout church history. But what if the church, in the sense the biblical sense is that which is comprised of those who know Christ are built on the one foundation, Jesus Christ, the cornerstone, his apostles and prophets. They know him. They're born of the spirit. Every saint means sanctified one. And these things happen. They do. They happen in my life, your life. But they're something that when we read this, you know, this isn't right. I, I don't want to be a person that people think is going to be angry or proud or a trouble. May God graciously change us. But the problem was, if they went on with this idea that only some people are important, later in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 1, no, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, One part of the body says to the other, I have no need of you. That's making a false judgment. We don't know who's doing well. We know the terms of fellowship are to be in Christ and submit to the authority of Scripture. What kind of a meeting would be filled with strife, jealousy, angry tempers, disputes, slanders, gossip? Well, they may still say, Paul, you're not spiritual enough for us. We found something better. And that happens, and it's really sad. I, when I was a new Christian, yeah, the first year, I became to the Lord in 1971. I went to a little church in Ames, Iowa, and what a wonderful pastor they had there, former member of the Blackwood uh, music group, and he'd be there. Uh, he could... Do all four parts of a four-part harmony? That's amazing. He was at our wedding reception and played the piano. He played a piano and tenor bass. He could do it. Part of Blackwood's, and um, there they had a situation where he didn't get paid unless the the money that uh, would be given would be how much he got paid. Well, some people didn't like him, so they gave their money to missions so he wouldn't get paid. And so it goes at times, but money isn't what we're here for. And I thought, wow, Reverend Griswold, such a joy and such a blessing. He always had a big smile. He taught us how to eat pecan pie, Texas style. And uh, Sister Griswold had the best pecan pie ever. But no matter what happens, we need to be humble And realize that God uses different people. And anyone who serves, no matter what it looks like, is a great blessing from God. Now, I want to end with the last slide. We're going to talk about the gospel and have each of us ask this question. Am I in Adam, the first Adam, the one who sinned, or am I in Christ? Let's read these two verses. A little preview of First Corinthians 15. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Now, often I've asked about this. How is it that you could be in Adam, the sinner, the old Adam. Not to do a thing. How is anyone in Adam? You're born. You become in Adam by natural generation, you're in Christ by supernatural regeneration. Let's look a little bit at the context. You want to turn to the section. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15 17 through 19. Paul said there, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Stop right there. Think about that. I have heard so much in popular pop Christianity that the point of the Christian faith is to be happy, to get your way, your best life now, how to, how to solve problems, how to get rid of uh, the, the issues that we were just looking at some uh, books on prayer. Your kids don't want to obey. Well, i don't never heard of that. Uh, so common life problems are what we focus on. But that's not the point. Every culture, every fallen sinner... In the world has the problems everybody else has. Okay? But if Christ has not raised, your faith is worthless. Is it true that just believing in something is better than believing in nothing? No. If you believe in the resurrection of Christ, and that's the ground of your hope and your faith, and it's not true, Paul says that's worthless. He didn't say, well, go to the church of positive thinking and that it won't matter. He said your faith is worthless. Why? You're still in your sins. If sins are not forgiven, we're lost. Only biblical Christianity revealed in Scripture shows that Christ, God the Son, the very creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, he The sinless one, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, died for sins. The virgin-born Savior, the sinless one, the Holy One, the one who shed his blood, the one who was raised from the dead, appeared to many witnesses. Bodily raised, not just a spirit resurrection, a bodily resurrection who bodily ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, and is coming again to bring salvation to those who are waiting and trusting in him and judgment to those who reject him. Now, it's a complex event, but it will happen. Look at verse 18. For then those who have fallen asleep, which is the euphemism for like the thief on the cross who went with him to paradise immediately have perished. In other words, today you would be with me in paradise, as Jesus said, really isn't true. You just perished. Now, that would be unacceptable. Verse 19 For if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Eric was talking about that this morning in Sunday school. What if we do all of this and there's no eternal life, there's no resurrection, there's no anything, this is all there is? Well, then we're to be pitied because we preached a lie, believed a lie, lived a lie, put our hope in a lie. But if Christ is raised, our hope is grounded in objective promises and evidence and we will go to be with him. Today, the Lord is laying out before us the fact that those who are in Christ will be made alive. The moment you're born of God, you turn to him, turn away from sin, self, the world, religion, mysticism, new age religion, all these things that are out there, and trust God. Christ, believing the truth, believing that Jesus Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. Believe in Him. It doesn't matter where you came from, how bad you were, how much you failed, what the world thinks of you in your old life. You who believe are new and you have the hope of eternal life. It's a gift from God. Repent and believe the gospel. Turn to him for the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. In the meantime, we serve one another, and how well the Lord will decide that later. But you never fail God by believing in him and serving by his grace and whatever gifts he may give. So I want to close with prayer and then we'll have a benediction. Dear Lord, today we have looked at your word and seen that we truly need you, need one another. And we all would look at ourselves at times and say, we haven't really shown so well what it should look like to be in you. May we be corrected and sanctified and brought more light into your image lord those who don't know you may today be the day of salvation where the true gift of what you've done once for all is something people believe and come to you and be part of the family of god we do pray that you would equip each one to serve you as we together look for your return and rejoice in what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.